0: Hey everyone, you're listening to How's the Climate, a new Richmond Hill-based podcast focusing on bringing climate awareness and education to Richmond Hill residents. I'm Lucy, and today I will be speaking with Ms. Carrie Tai, a professional engineer, climate reality leader, Richmond Hill resident, and member of Richmond Hill's Advisory Committee for Community Energy and Emissions Plan, who founded Community Group Neighbors for the Planet with her family and currently sits on its board of directors.
1: First of all, thank you for inviting me to uh, this podcast. It's really exciting what you guys are doing and I think it's well needed. Um, So I guess my story starts with um, having coffee with a neighbor and um, she was just telling me that that her husband was depressed. It was right after the United Nations um, IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report came out. Uh, saying that we had about 12 more years before uh, to do big climate action before we have irreversible damage. And um, so I I was surprised by it. And um, basically, like, I knew about global warming, but I didn't know too much about climate change. So this was in uh, November 2018. And uh, so I asked her more about it. And so as she was talking to me, I was really stunned by... What she was saying and what was happening, and and the fact that I didn't know about it. So um, I'm a person of action, and so I basically said, "Well, why don't we get together, like our family and yours, and see what we can do?" And um, so um, so we decided that the following weekend our families would get together. And in the meantime, I you know I was so amazed that I didn't know, and so I started talking to some of my coworkers and asking them about climate change and you know, a lot of them didn't know either. And so it really, really sat with me that, you know, we lead busy lives. And, you know, we've got so many things that we're focused on and, and we can't always be aware of everything. But anyways, So when we got together on the weekend, we brought, you know, our kids in as well. And uh, we all discussed about what they were learning in school about climate change, what we knew. And, you know, again, that I, I was mentioning, well, a lot of my coworkers don't know what's going on either. So out of that discussion, we talked about, well, what are some of the things that we could do? So we thought about creating a website to create more public awareness, you know, again, just to make it easier for people to find out about it. And um, luckily, my daughter, who was 14 at the time, um, she had done a project at school uh, and had to create a website. So she had used Wix. And so that made it. So she created the website for us and the rest of us, you know, we put in the content and, and looked, you know, researched and looked for things to put in. And... Um, So that's how we kind of started and, you know, as I started researching and putting the content in, I think um, it really hit me how, you know, what the severity of the issue was and Um, At that point, you know, when we finally put it all together, I finally said, "Okay, so now what are we going to do? We got to take action. And so (laughs) my neighbors and um, my husband and at the time my daughter, they're like, what do you mean? We did our work. We've got the website. And I'm like, no, now we have to do something. So anyways, I started looking for a group and there was no climate groups in Richmond Hill that I could find. And they were all downtown, like 350. And, you know, there's a bunch of them downtown. But, you know, it's it's a it, it takes a lot. Of, a lot of time to go all the way downtown on a weeknight to go to a meeting and come back after work, and so um, so I was kind of disappointed. But I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go downtown to one of these meetings and see what's happening. And I happened to go to one um, Climate Fast, and um, I was just astounded by what um, Linda Adamson um, was doing, and and there, she was doing so many things. And I remember thinking, oh my God, it was overwhelming. But I also thought we need to bring this up to up north (laughs) to where we are to richmond hill York region because it's too hard for people to come all the way down and we got to bring it up here and so i remember i said that to her not knowing how i was going to do it but definitely felt the need to do that so when i came back um you know i was trying to figure things out and then all of a sudden in um, a newsletter from my um, counselor david west he had this targeted climate change event um in his newsletter so I'm like, oh, my God, it's right here in Richmond Hill. So I went and that's where I met Esther Collier, who uh, was the founder of Target Climate Change. And through and and there I also met um, others like Liz, um, Liz Couture, who's from Drawdown and some other people. And um, so in. So at their meeting, what I did is I did get up and say, I've been seeing all these um, cities declaring climate emergencies and I thought we need to do this in Richmond Hill. So I, you know, got up and spoke about it and suggested it and everybody seemed really excited to do it. Um, I also was really interested in the Green New Deal. This was something that was happening in the States by the the Sunrise Movement. And it was, at the time, it was already starting to grasp a lot of attention. And I thought it was such a great idea. So anyways, I had really wanted to do something with both of those. And so with Liz, um, so with Liz, I talked to her about the climate emergency. And she was amazing. She took me under her wing and we worked with David West and uh, Marta as well from D- Drawdown. And um, we met with all the counselors and we really worked on getting a climate emergency done. It was uh, eventually referred for six months, but eventually just this year, uh, we finally got it through, though it wasn't called the climate emergency, but at least that was great. Um, in the meantime, uh, lead now was also um, putting on this Green New Deal town hall, and they wanted people to put it out and like to do these town halls. So it was Esther that uh, I found out about it through Esther, and she had no time to put it together. So I volunteered. I said, "Oh my God, this is the one." The other thing I really wanted to work on, and so uh, I and th- from there I met um, some people from the Green Team from Saint Mary Saint Mary's An- Anglican Church. So it was Monica Woodley and um, Joan Porter, and of course Liz, and between. The three, uh, the four of us, we put that together, and um, again, a lot of people showed up, and it was really, really inspiring and great. And that's what's been great is um, getting to meet all these people uh, that really care about the planet and that just help and are so supportive and and um, get you going. And. Um, At that point i i decided when i realized how bad things were i actually decided to take nine months off so luckily my husband was really supportive because i realized there was so much to do and i just couldn't do it and work and so um you know and that's how i managed to get a lot of things done and what was really exciting is um i i started i hosted the first climate strike in richmond hill so in um in july Um, you know, the federal election was that year in, um, and in July, um, there was a a, a debate for climate, climate, I forget the word, uh, it was a climate debate, that was the idea for the rally, so that we wanted to have that during the debates that the, um, provincial, um, that the the um, politicians would talk, would debate about climate change and talk about it. And so we, we hosted that in Richmond Hill and we got 50 people to turn up. So that was really exciting. Then two months later, we did another climate strike and we got 250 people that showed up. And that's when I realized, I mean, people really cared and they just didn't know what to do and they really just wanted to be involved, but they needed someone, you know, to show what, what kind of things they could do. So... Yeah, so it's been an exciting journey. <laughs> um, and even with COVID, we've managed to do a lot this year going online. And when we do presentations, we we get people from all over the world. So it's actually shown us a bigger reach. Um, and so something that we have to consider even when we're able to meet in person again, that we really need to um, um, continue to do them online as well. So.
0: I mean, I think that's great, especially how this year's long journey seemed to have stemmed from just one conversation. I truly do think sometimes the smallest actions can be the most impactful. Anyways, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this organization you run. I've heard that you guys have just become a nonprofit. How's that been beneficial to your organization?
1: Yeah, so so we've actually only just become a non for profit, and that's because. Um, um, we, we were actually starting to look at going for funding and, and that's what you need to be a not for profit. And I think, you know, the key is that in, I mean, it's been about two years now, uh, we've had lots of volunteers and as I said, collaborated with lots of different groups. And it's amazing. Um, everybody really puts their time and effort in, but really, most people have a job. And even me, like I took that nine months off and it was amazing. I got a lot done, really built up the the um the organization. but this January, I went back to work and so I still managed to only go back half time so that I could still do some climate stuff and you know i'm very I'm very lucky that we could afford that and that was my job. I was able to do that. Um, but, you know, most people are working and they don't have a lot of time to put in. So I think the fact that going not-for-profit, what that allows us to do is to go for funding where we can actually be paid so that we can do this full-time so that it doesn't, you know, it's not just... Um, our extra hours um, that were off. And, and, you know, it it gets very overwhelming working and doing this and you get burnt out. I mean, I've gone through it. And I think that's going to be the key is that we can do much more. Also, at the beginning, when we were doing stuff, um, we would pay out of pocket for things like, um, you know, for whatever materials we needed for strikes or, um, even, um, you know, we created these amazing flyers, we managed to have one of our volunteers with a graphic designer. And, you know, we, we put some information together about things that people can do. And he made it so beautiful, you know, three different ones. But again, we were, you know, out of pocket, or I finally started a GoFundMe page, trying to get money, raise money so that it wasn't all out of our pocket. But I think, you know, being a not for profit, that gives us a chance now, like I said, to go for funding and get those things paid for. So that we can focus on the actions and the things we need to do instead of finding where are we going to get the money or the time to get these things done. And I think that's, what's really important. Um, yeah, like I, I know, um, one of the big ones that, uh, that got us to become a not-for-profit was there was a, um, it was in September, there was a Climate um, Awareness and Action Fund by the Liberal government and it was big dollars. And, um, and and actually we had done a lot of meetings with MPs and I got a, I had a good relationship with our MP, Majid Jahari, and he was the one that actually called me and let me know about it and said, you know, you guys should do something. You guys should uh, put in a proposal. So it was exciting. We got together with all the other partners, you know, Drawdown, Blue Dot, um, Target Climate Change. And we brainstormed on what can we do as a proposal? And we came up with this idea of a climate action and resource center. So it would be a one-stop shop for everything climate. And it would be a center where we would actually have a presence. And we partnered with Richmond Hill United Church and we would would have a actual location at their church. Um, And, you know, so that we'd have an office and people could come anytime and learn about it. We would do film screenings. We would do um, um, plant-based cooking. Lessons. We would do the eco fairs where we we would have every every time we would have like a different theme. So one of them might be everything to do about solar panels and we'd invite everybody, like all the businesses that have solar panels and then the and then the community can come and have a look and ask questions and find out, uh, you know what it would take for them to have um, a solar panel installed in their home and, you know, all the options that they would have. So, you know, this is it. like that's kind of a dream that I think we all had and only funding will allow us to do something so big. But yeah, it's pretty exciting being not for profit.
0: I'm really glad that your organization took those steps. I think it's going to do a lot of good in the future. Even now, it has already. Um, I'm actually going to move on to the fourth question since you did talk a little bit about your work. Um, I heard that you have um, you have a history in like engineering, and that does require a very specific like subset of education and. Um, like the mindset you have. So I was just wondering what what does the role of an engineer or even just like a member of like higher academia, what does that have in like curbing climate change? How does that change how you see climate change as a problem or how you can fix it?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I have an engineering um, background or education. I actually didn't end up doing engineering work because I found it too boring for me. But that's okay. But but I think the point is that, you know, it's just like with COVID. It's about listening to the science. That's what this is about. And I think, you know, um, you know, humans are really intelligent and we we're great innovators. We're great at inventing and finding solutions. I mean, look at COVID. Look at how we came up with a vaccine so quickly. Quickly. And so, you know, so um, and and in fact, four different vaccines. Um, I mean, that's what's really exciting. And I think, like COVID, you have to listen to the silent science and and follow the steps. And it's the same thing for for the climate crisis. We have to listen to the science. It's not. I think more and more people are start are starting to realize this is for real, and we do need solutions. And in fact, we have a lot of solutions already. Um, we have solar panels and wind wind uh, turbines. We have, you know. Electric cars, um, batteries. So, so the idea is that you know, we need to, there's no magic bullet for to to, um, you know, to combat climate change. We need all all of these solutions and we need to keep improving on them. And that's what's really exciting. Like the green renewables are getting cheaper and cheaper because we are figuring out better ways to do it, better ways to manufacture batteries for electric vehicles, for storage. And so all these things are really important. And I think that's, that's the key to me is that this is solvable.
0: We just have to use that mindset and work towards it. I like I like your ideas of um, innovation, especially in helping this and using science as like the backbone to solving this entire crisis. Um, moving on a little more personal, you did talk about having a daughter, so I was wondering, um, as far as far as parenthood goes. Uh, what role does that play in climate action? How does that kind of affect you? And uh, following that, what would you say to the parents that might be listening as well?
1: Yeah, I think for me... I think I'm I'm so motivated to take action because of children. And, um, you know, when I was starting to learn more and more about the climate crisis, I started talking to, you know, my mother-in-law, my nephew, and everybody around me, my daughter. And, you know, I was just so saddened by the answers I got. Like, my mother-in-law, she actually knew, she's got, I guess, more time on her hands than some parents, but um, she knew about climate thing. And, you know, she, she said, I just tell people not to have children. Why would you bring a child into this world? And I'm like, but. We gotta do something about it. You can't just say that. And you know, my nephew at the time was 20 and he also said, yeah, I'm not having kids, no way. Why would I wanna bring children into this world? And you know, my daughter who was 14 at the time, she said, yeah, we all talk about it. Like it's, they don't look forward to their future. It's like, they don't know how bad it's gonna get. And and you know, I just, it was saddened me so much and that's what kept me pushing. Because to me, when, when I was her age, you know, I was looking forward to, oh, what career was I gonna have? what, um, you know, I was going to have a family and children and, you know, it's, it was all this hope and and um, excitement about the future. And instead, kids are having climate anxiety They're they and some can't even talk to their parents. They feel that they're not heard or understood. We've managed to, um, there's been some, um, uh, a lot of students that have joined us and I think it's been really good for them to have a place where they can talk and feel heard and understood. And I think if, if there was one thing I was going to tell, say to parents is Listen to your children. Don't tell them, oh, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Don't tell them it's not a big deal because you know what? It is a big deal and it isn't going to be fine if we don't do something. And I think they need that acknowledged. And you know what? We can't leave the burden on them. They didn't create this problem. They have enough other things to deal with. And this is something that we as parents, grandparents, we need to step up and not leave it for them. And I do want to acknowledge, though, that there are a lot of parents and grandparents that are doing a lot and taking action. And to them, I thank them and I'm inspired by them. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to keep fighting and and um, not leaving it for just the kids to take care of.
0: That was really good. I mean, as a teenager myself, I think those are like kind of the words you need to hear from adults. (laughs) like I'm glad that they're trying to reassure us, but I think they need to like take action as well because we are trying our best and we like to see the people we look up to trying their best as well in this situation. Um, So uh, this is our final question. So this is kind of um, any advice you can give to listeners. So we want to hear um, maybe three tangible things that um, they could do to kind of curb the impact of climate change. And kind of like why would why would you choose these um, actions?
1: Well, I think um, in the two years that I've been at this, the one thing I've learned is that without systemic change we're not going to get we're not going to solve this. So as much as it's important to do your individual, you know reduce your carbon footprint, work as a community on different things, you really need to hit the governments at all levels. And so the first thing I would say to do is meet with your MP, with your MPPs and build a relationship. Let them know that you, you as a resident care about climate crisis, that, that you demand action and that, and that um, if we do that, if we all do that, it will happen because number one, they want your vote. They absolutely do. And if there's enough people that talk to them, they have to take it to parliament. So that's another thing I learned. And it's really important to build that relationship. So, you know, find people that will do that, you know, uh, groups like us, we'll help you. We've, I've tried, we've done a whole bunch of MP meetings, um, not just in our writing. We, you know, we're, 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 con- we consider neighbors as everyone. We were so careful when we came up with our name, not to have a region or anything, because to us, this is a global issue. We're all neighbors and we all have to help and work together. So that's the first thing I would say. Number two, talk about climate change to everyone you know that is so important we have to build a movement we've got to create more public awareness and you know if we don't if we don't talk to people then they they don't they won't they may not know they may be too busy in their lives to realize where we are so the louder our voices the more voices we have the more um you know the more politicians will listen the more that you talk with your inner circle it's been said that um that people will listen more to someone they know than to just anyone, like a group like ours. So it's really important to reach out to, to the people you know. And it is a, it, it can be a hard conversation to start. I mean, I was there <laughs> even talking to my neighbors, even doing this for a while and still feeling um, a little nervous talking to them. But you know what? We have flyers. We have flyers on our website. And that will help with the conversation. You can email it to them. You can go by and say, hey, look what I found. We hand them out at any event we go to. And as I said, a graphic designer uh, put them together so they look amazing. But it's it's a way to start the conversation as well. Um, And thirdly, uh, the other thing I would say is take action. Join a group. It doesn't matter which group. There are so many out there. Find a group that aligns with your values and volunteer a little bit or spread the word, do whatever you can, whatever is possible for you, whether it's donating. If you don't have the time, donate some money and help them. Or if you have time, even better volunteer and do things, get to know the community, Um, get to know your neighbors and see, you know, what things you can do.
0: Um,
1: So that's what I would definitely say.
0: I think those are three very good points. And I think if people just put a little more effort or just time and thought into it, I think those can all be accomplished. And if we have a large enough community to do it, there can be some real tangible change through those three simple things. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to have gotten to talk to you and for you to share a little bit of your insight and your own story. It was an amazing time. I do hope um, your organization the best and I can't wait to see what happens in the future as well. Um, There's just one little thing. If you'd like to share like the URL of your uh, website. So maybe some people go there and see um, what you guys are all about. That'd be great.
1: Great. Yeah. Well, thank you again for inviting me. And yeah, I'd be happy to share. We're neighbors for the ca, And um, you can join our email list, find out what we're up to. We have tons of resources. We, we promote, Um, events coming up from all of the different organizations Um, we have uh, articles if you want to find out what we did last year we wrote up a 2020 wrap-up and uh, just go to our articles page um, check it out email us um, you know we're happy to help with whatever you want to do we even have uh, (laughs) plant-based recipes you know uh, anything you know we're happy to do we we give out presentations you can request a presentation as I said we're happy to help in any way we can and thank you again for inviting me. I really appreciate
0: thank you. it. you. Yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> and that concludes today's episode. We will be seeing you next time here on How's the Climate. This podcast is brought to you by Making Waves, a Canadian youth team based in GTA focused on bringing climate education to Richmond Hill. We are participating in Youth Challenge International's Innovate My Future program and are supported by Evergreen Canada and Resilient Richmond Hill. Thanks to Emiko with Jason Dara for today's content and Joshua Chang for our music. Our team includes Romina Murtash, Olivia Karp, Matthew Wong, Emiko with Jason Dara, and me, Lucy Mao. Catch you next time.